0: Hello everybody and thank you for tuning in to the Liberty Report. With us today we have Daniel McAdams our co-host. Daniel,
1: good to see you. Happy Monday Dr.
0: Paul, how are you? Are you well rested? I am fairly well is rested. Is your mind rested from uh, the fact that you didn't have much to listen to? No news? And, uh, everything the world is all better off and no more war and no more spending?
1: You know, usually on Mondays we're like what are we going to talk about? But today we got a, a lot yeah, to talk a about. A bunch
0: of things and the one that uh, we're going to spend some time on, there's a couple things we're going to talk about, but one is budget again. We yeah. always talk about the budget. The budget involves spending and debt and finances and the Federal Reserve and everything. So we will be talking about because a major agreement, Democrats and Republicans working together, we should be thankful that they're getting together, bipartisan. We don't want them fighting up there. You know, we may have chaos in the streets if that happens. But anyway, we'll we'll spend some time on that, but uh, we'll also want to talk about somebody else who's hogging the news. The main reason he's hogging the news is he doesn't want in the news. Yeah, (laughs) yeah. And that's the defense secretary. You know, he... uh, he wanted uh, to sort of blend away, but everybody knows now he was in the hospital and he won't tell us what he what happened. Yeah, and yeah. Uh, so it was sort of whatever he was up to, it backfired. I know the sentiment of, of uh, you, you know, you don't have to, to. You don't like to talk about personal things, yeah, and you know that exactly. I'm not anxious to have it either. Absolutely. But uh, when you're uh, when you're an important person, you, we have to know about you. you so, give that, up your <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> so he uh, he generally stayed out of the Uh He's a He's a major general, you know, more than the the low. He's a big shot general. He's running. He got that job. And uh, nobody's heard much about him. But all of a sudden, you know, uh, he got sick, and we don't know why. And there's truth, isn't it? You know, everybody's worried about, it. well, you know, there could be an emergency crisis. Yeah, we need somebody there in case peace breaks out. Yeah. What are we going to do? But I think he had something to do with bringing the troops home from Afghanistan, so that's not uh, not, not such a good thing. But anyway, I want to start off in more specifically because the budget. and, and you big know, deal, yeah. <laughs> you know, Mike Johnson, uh, I didn't know him when I was there, but he he's respected, he's smart he's a neocon in a sense that he does support more military but not more as war. much as the bad the yeah. bad guy and uh he must be likable because you know they, well, i mean here he's been in a couple of weeks and he hasn't fired yet yeah he
1: hasn't fought with anyone but,
0: <laughs> but anyway they've um, but what, what puts our intent up at least mine is, is the fact that he's getting to be is with Schumer. Oh, yeah. You know, when when Schumer and uh, he can get together and say, well, we have to do something. So they've had some superficial agreements with the total is, except they haven't had the Freedom Caucus <laughs> yeah. talk to, to us about it yet either. So I, I think it's, it's a problem that they're dealing with, and a lot of they're doing it in sincerity. They don't want to close down the government and disrupt things. Uh, what they don't want to talk about is the inevitability of this conflict because uh, they don't talk about uh, the bankruptcy. And, you know, when, when the dollar represented bankruptcy in 1971, that was a big deal, but they sort of fluffed over and got away with it, even though they destroyed 98% of the value of the dollar. But that's, so that's what's going on now. They, uh, they're dealing with this bankruptcy. And uh, even if you're uh, well-intended, how do you deal with it when people just deal with, you know, millions? Billions now trillions of dollars in in one budget, so it is a major major problem, and uh, I I could say I wish them well only on the condition that they'll help solve the problem by reducing the size and scope of government that's what business and individuals have to do they have to they have to reduce their appetite for spending and printing money and borrowing money uh, and in reality country countries should do that eventually do it by losing the value of their currency and destroy yeah. the currency but they are doing it but they're in transition now but I also think very much in denial and a and denial also of the the moral climate of what's going on in this country and and uh, tinkering around the edges is not going to work. And there's some people who actually want the thing to fall apart, and their goal is chaos. Yeah. Because we have an answer to all that, and we won't tell anybody. But it has something to do with fascism yeah. and corporatism. So w- w- we will not let the secret out on that. But uh, this this is what's going on. So the, it looks like this was seen as a positive step in conventional things, but. Uh, but, but what if the money's being all spent for the wrong reason? Yeah. What if, what if we went through this and said 97% of this money can be considered unconstitutional? Yeah. Uh, you know, that, that would be a different story, but that's not what they're talking about. It's how are we gonna pull the wool over the li- li- eyes of the people and keep spending and keep promising and get by this election. So uh, I, uh, I don't wanna be cynical, you know, <laughs> but uh, I, I'm just not uh, overly optimistic that by another week's end that all of a sudden we're gonna see tremendous improvement in the, uh, in, in the debate that's going on in this year's campaign.
1: Yeah, well, if I were Mike Johnson, and he looks like a nice guy, he doesn't have that nasty look that a lot of members and senators have. He looks like a nice guy. If I were Mike Johnson, I would not want this next picture to get out. And this is from Politico, put this up. It is not a good look for him. He's leaning into Chuck Schumer. Looks like he's saying, as I wrote in our RPI update yesterday, hey, want to make a deal? Uh, (laughs) It's not a good look. Johnson strikes his first bipartisan deal. A 1.7 trillion dollar funding accord, and I was working on our update for RPI last night. I, you sent this over, I think, when I was working on it, and the word struck out <laughs> bipartisan. And I remember everything you say about bipartisan, yeah, right? Said, be be, about that, be huh? leery about that. Be leery about that. So, but let's look at what a little bit of the deal. And we don't need to get into the trees. Someone else that does this more than we do can get into the, you know, the trees of it. But put that second <laughs> one up. Basically, what it is, is they are going to fund the military at $886 billion, which is what President Joe Biden asked for in a deal with Speaker, former Speaker Kevin McCarthy. And non-defense spending will be at $773 billion, just a couple of bucks there, uh, billions of dollars agreed to alongside the debt limit package, a side deal. Non-defense budgets would remain roughly flat, amounting to a less than 1% decrease compared to current funding. Military programs would see a 3% increase. One of the things that struck me about this, Dr. Paul, without going too deeply into it, is I remember, maybe I'm remembering back wrongly, but I remember when Democrats would look at a 3% military uh, increase. And a 1% domestic spending decrease, and they'd be screaming to the high heavens, you know. But now it seems like the Dems are on board with war spending.
0: Yeah, they'd, they've uh, indoctrinated the people, and the people go along with it. And uh, I think they have terrorized people about... Uh, what happens if the government locks down? If it closes down, but it really doesn't. We've (laughs) never had a close down of of the government. Uh, It could happen if we continue on the road of chaos plus chaos. A bigger close (laughs) down, That'll that'll be a close down, and they'll be fighting over who who did it. But they're already doing that. Uh, I think that, uh, you, you know, the people... The people want some help, but I think they're overly scared about the the lockdown and the close down. Uh, I just wonder what it would be like if, if, if you and I were, you know, doing, making the decision. What about a moratorium on spending yeah, for one year? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Do you think they'll survive? Yeah. What does that mean? Oh, well, they could, uh, you know, cancel the regulations that abuse the con- abuses the Constitution and uh, anything you make you can ke- keep
1: yeah <laughs> you know
0: I'll bet you uh, all of a sudden uh, you you know there, there'd be a, a, a burst of if it's it's only for one year a burst for one year yeah. but uh, i i could just dream because yeah. i'm not going to see it but i would love to see what would, what it would be like if we did you know even though the slightest decrease in taxes gives a boost to the economy yeah. and uh, you know the first campaign speech i ever gave was uh And I put a line in, I still believe, at least a good political line. You know, the church never asks for more than 10%. All governments put together should never have the moral right to take more than the church. Yeah. Well, you
1: know, we've had some lean periods at the Ron Paul Institute, but you and I never got together when we had a little bit of a fundraising shortfall and said, here's a good idea. Let's double our budget, you know, let's spend more (laughs) instead of let's tight. We got to tighten the belt temporarily and see if we can move ahead. But, you know, there is a hard deadline coming up. There was only a temporary respite from the shutdown, as you mentioned. But, you know, you get this sense of kind of an intellectual drift, you know, if you know what I'm saying, there doesn't seem to be anything driving the party. Now, Johnson seems like a nice guy. He looks like an insurance salesman. Everyone likes insurance salesmen. They're nice guys. But he seems to have a lack of vision. And you can see it in the picture, you know. Now, they spent their time, rather than passing budgets for Treasury or whatever, all of these bills that you're supposed to do, they kicked out one member because he's weird. Now, that shouldn't shouldn't preclude members from serving, because a lot of them are. They kicked out one guy because he's weird, and that's George Santos. Now, they have two more Republicans resigning including Kevin McCarthy in the third that I just read over the weekend. I forget his name. That means their majority is razor thin. So they're moving into an era, a period, where they're going to have to pass these individual appropriations bills. And they're really almost doing it with one hand behind the back because they, don't, they can't afford any dissent on the Republican side. So it seems like they have, uh, they have squandered what they had. Uh, and now the only thing seeming to capture their attention is the war funding. We got to get these, we got to get the spending, we got to get our normal jobs out of the way, because we've got to return to funding Ukraine and funding Israel and giving some money to Taiwan. That seems to be the only thing that animates. The
0: Republicans right now, you know, the speaker, like you say, he comes across as a decent person yeah. and he's working hard at it. But, of course, I don't think uh, there's going to be a tremendous success because we're not dealing with the real issue of the nature of government and what has happened to our republic. But in the uh, Politico article, uh, he's saying, but he called the deal with, uh, with your friend Schumer. <laughs> but, he, but he called the deal the most uh, the, the most Favorable budget agreement Republicans have achieved in over a decade. And, uh, and I would say, well, to whom? Who's, <laughs> it most, who's, who's benefiting? Not to taxpayers. Noting that the bipartisan accord will allow, this is the one I want you to comment on, noting that the bipartisan accord will allow GOP lawmakers to put their mark on the federal budget rather than running the government. Like the horrible show of Schumer and Pelosi deal struck before Republicans claim that. Well, th- there's some you know good desires about this, yeah. but my my intuition is, hey. Likely to happen.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. You
0: know, of, of all of a sudden, uh, with this idea that the people will really have a say in it, because they, they, they're, they're the same group as originally spent all the money and spent all the money on the military and everything else. Not all of them, but the majority of them have been doing that. That's why sometimes my antennas go up when they say, "Oh, it's bipartisan." Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so,
1: yeah, it's. Uh- in order to quiet the people <laughs> quiet the people yeah and they're conditioned to think bipartisanship is great but as you always say when bipartisanship means both sides throw away the principles <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so the one yeah. now the one thing about this and I get the sense and I could <coughs> be wrong Dr. Paul I get the sense that Mike Johnson and the Republicans and the Democrats really they want to get this stuff out of the way it's like um, a kid wants to eat his dessert first they want to get this stuff out of the way so they can turn to what they really are interested in, which is the military funding. They didn't put it in this, that hundred and some billion dollars. They didn't put it in this deal, this agreement, but they, they want to get this off of their plate so they can enjoy their dessert. And that's what it seems like to me. Now, on Face the Nation, Speaker Johnson was on, and Margaret Brennan, a journalist, was asking him a few questions. I just took a couple clips out of this to give people a sense it, maybe I'm wrong about this, and maybe our, our viewers will correct me in the comments. But if you put this next one up, this is the feeling that I get. This is what really animates them. This is what really excites them. Not the mundane things about funding Treasury. Who cares about that? So here's Brennan. She says, um, uh, I need to move. He, uh, you're in the presidential line of succession now as Speaker of the House. You receive access to the most classified information about national security. How has that changed your worldview?" specifically on Ukraine, where you now say Vladimir Putin needs to be defeated. He says, I've always said Vladimir Putin needs to be defeated. I've never changed my position. And go to the next one. Brennan says, well, Marjorie Taylor Greene, she came out publicly a few days ago and said you had. She said he went from having a voting record to literally a month later going against his own voting record and being Speaker of the House. So so uh, Margaret Brennan, the journalist, is saying, well, Marjorie Taylor Greene said that you were not so keen on funding Ukraine. And he said, no, I voted against one of those tranches of Ukraine funding to send a message to the White House, not as a lack of resolve in standing for freedom. <laughs> so he's saying, basically, I only voted no on that as a gimmick to show Biden rather than having changed my mind about sending yet more money to Ukraine.
0: You know, this is a healthy debate, what's going on now. That, this is one place where the believers in, uh, uh, we we have enough war and we're going broke. We need to do something about it. And so far the conservatives are, this is great that yeah. you can have one and point it out to this popular new speaker, you know, to say, hey, you're not consistent. And because the American people are with us on that issue, I think the American people are sick and tired of it. Even if it's for a little less enthusiasm than we have, because they just want to spend it maybe someplace else. You you know, they they might support it to send more battleships to uh, the uh, South South China Sea, you know, that sort of thing. But anyway, it's a healthy debate because it's clear cut. And they say, you, you know, the money... The money for Ukraine takes money away, you know, from some of the things that are much more legitimate, like uh, defending against the invasion, uh, you you know, that has happened. I I think our country has been invaded, and uh, it's sort of uh, participating in the coup of the takeover, because we lose a lot by that, but when they point this out, so like you say they've delayed it they're not going to deal with that that would have been terrible to you know to have to delay and have a shutdown for a couple of days and uh, it may it may come to that but uh, it, it you know after the maybe if it goes a week or so if they didn't announce it how I many people would notice yeah. they'd still get their checks
1: yep absolutely and
0: it would never stop and, it, and there was so much momentum in the system that even just you know if Congress was canceled for a year uh, you know I say well this would be nice but it, it, it doesn't solve the problem ever because there's there's it's way too much momentum in the system it's on autopilot oh, yeah. and uh, and then even if it isn't there's so much secrecy, yeah. secrecy too but you don't want to talk about it. you think the Federal Reserve gets involved in helping certain friends around the world <laughs> <laughs> or, or help help extend the credit to the military-industrial complex on oh, no, you, you can't Believe that or you become paranoid. <laughs> yeah, don't
1: want to do that. Yeah. There's one other th- last thing from the interview with Margaret Brennan I wanted to point out, and this is really interesting, reading between the lines. To me, it looks, as I read this, that that whole sense of urgency of funding that $100 billion request for Ukraine and Israel, that was a farce. It was a charade. They knew all along, at least when it comes to Ukraine, that it wasn't urgent. The Republicans were just pretending to hold out no we're not going to give you this money and here's what my evidence would be for that for that claim if you can put this next one up so here's Margaret Brennan she said so when you met with President Zelensky did you say to him I just don't know if I can get you the cash I don't know if I can help you continue the war and speaker Johnson said no no that's not what I said to him I said we stand resolve with the Ukrainian people and with your fight for freedom against Vladimir Putin, who is a ruthless dictator in my view. But what he said publicly, he said in our meeting, and then he said in national media, in interviews following our meeting, is that he could get additional funding as late as February. He didn't need it in December, as the White House was intimating. So that whole struggle that we're running out of money and we need it immediately, that was a farce. And the Republicans were just pretending to hold back that money.
0: You you know, we have bits and pieces of the peace dividend, you know, when the Cold War ended, but it looks like They're determined not to benefit from the peace benefit. You know, when you think of the oil wells and the pipelines and the trade that goes on with, you know, our arch enemy right now, well, we have several, but China is a big enemy. But now we're in a trade war with them. But China reacted to that trade war. They put some sanctions on us. How dare they? (laughs) I don't think they have a right. They've been shooting down our airplanes, too. When they put this map up of this hundred and some attacks on America, you know, all around it. Iraq and the in that Middle East region, you look at that and you say, where in the world? I thought it was bad, but that picture, this image, just yeah, cluttered incredible. with yeah. it. And there's the other picture that, well, well you know, uh, why should... Why should uh, the Iranians wor- worry about uh, in- intrusion? Or you, you, you look at that and you look at the, how many mi- missiles and bases we have yeah. right around the border yeah. of yeah. Uh, of uh, of Ukraine, <laughs> uh, Iran.
1: Anyway, that's the way it goes. Well, here's a crazy story, and everyone's going to be covering it. But um, put this up. This is a Politico uh, Politico piece. Now, yeah, here we go. So. The Lloyd Austin fallout is growing. Someone's head has to roll, and uh, and we'll go. In. here's exactly what happened. Now this is from a political piece this morning. Go to the next clip. Okay, here's exactly what happened. Imagine this scenario. <laughs> this is weird. At a White House meeting last week, Jake Sullivan, the National Security Advisor, noticed that Defense Secretary <laughs> Lloyd Austin was absent. A top Pentagon official, Sasha Baker, was there in his place. Uh, there was nothing obviously unsettling about this Austin was scheduled to work from home and lower-level aides often sit in for their boss now go to the next one but what neither Sullivan nor Baker which is the underling what neither of them knew at the moment was that Austin was already hospitalized at Walter Reed with complications from an undisclosed surgical procedure and then it goes on and since the Pentagon went public with the situation Friday night New reports are coming in, including Politico's disclosure on Saturday evening that the Pentagon had not informed President Joe Biden or the National Security Council for days that Austin was indisposed. For days. He was in the... Well, um- the president not knowing
0: anybody. that's not a big that's, deal. That's, yeah. <laughs> so He still but, probably does But, you know, if, if he was absent and he didn't have a proper excuse, you know, some places used to dock your pay.
1: Yeah. Do you
0: think <laughs> if he wasn't on ball of this, he should lose a couple of days' pay? <laughs> <laughs> not hardly. Well, as you point out, I mean, it's a problem. Obviously,
1: there's something embarrassing that he had done that he doesn't want people to know about. Everyone has that. Unfortunately, when you're in such a public position, um, you know, that things get out but the situation is now the more he's tried to hide it now everyone wants to know it. but the the craziest thing is here we are we're in the middle of crises after crises ukraine middle east etc and all of a sudden your top guy at the pentagon is awol you know it just it's it looks like an administration that is so out of touch nobody's talking to each other nobody knows what anybody's doing blinken's flying around to israel and everywhere Austin is in a hospital somewhere. Biden is str- struggling to get off stage
0: somewhere. It just is a not a good look. Well, the medical part is probably really significant because uh, he uh, was, you know, in, in intensive care. I thought, well, if he had surgery, sometimes you know we wheel our patients into an intensive care unit, you know, recovery room, but that's just not what it was. I guess it was several he days. He went back, yeah. Yeah, that's. Uh, that uh, you know what you think of, and I don't even know what surgery you had. Or anything. When people are taken back, a lot of the times they say because you can have. That's why you're in a recovery yeah. room to make sure there's no. Uh, the first hour or two is very dangerous. So he might have had some type of bleeding and bleeding. It had to go back. So, but we don't we don't know that. And and then uh, of course uh, you know if people are. Planning, uh, you know, evil things against us, and they don't know where he stands, or he passes away, but there's no no knowledge of yeah. it. It might be you know, the the whole the whole uh, administrative system, the uh, the pr- the president, and other, they might get confused if, uh-huh. they if they don't have order like this, but they have so much confusion anyway. It's just that they don't know what to do about it.
1: Well, I mean. <laughs> we shouldn't panic because the deep state is running things anyway so you know, Austin is just a figurehead he's always been just a figurehead um, you know he's a he's a substitute in there for Raytheon but it's still it, it looks bad it looks bad and here's the one thing you know having spent some time in Washington whenever you be- make your boss look bad that's a big problem no matter where you are in the system you make your boss look bad it's a big problem and this is what Austin did he he re he reinforced the idea that Biden is completely clueless and out of touch. And that's just not what you see from presidents.
0: You know, either, uh, either Austin's completely in, you know, responsible for that or, or Biden is completely unnecessary to be brought into the loop. <laughs> yeah, he really yeah. isn't in the loop. But you know, uh, lately he's been uh, reading some speeches where it wasn't the worst time in his life. You yeah. know, he, yeah, but it, it, most people know that it's being read and it's not sincere and it's not a real thought. But uh, that's, that's um, amazing that people can go along there and, uh, and figure that, well, y- yes, but you don't know how evil that Trump is. That's right, yeah. <laughs> if you're dealing with two evils, you got to go with the good guy, <laughs> the least evil. Well, here's also another weird thing about it. So
1: Austin is AWOL. He's in intensive care. And so his deputy should have taken over. That's Catherine Hick, Kathleen Hicks. I think she was the Army Secretary or Air Force Secretary. I don't remember exactly. But she's on vacation in Puerto Rico. But they contacted they her. Contacted. She said, I'm available with Zoom. <laughs> <Let's> <laughs> zoom in. Zoom in. So there you go. That's a work-for-home environment. But um, but I would just say, and also the, the response of the administration right now is not good because this is typical of Biden. This is how he handles crises. And just put this this next one up because this is also just <laughs> came out on Politico. Biden will not accept an Austin resignation if offered. So that is classic Biden, doubling down uh, when he looks bad, uh, and it's just uh, it's just a terrible look. So that's
0: like the president of uh, Harvard uh, can't let her resign. Yeah. You know, <laughs> will look bad. <laughs>
1: right. Well, in the meantime, as as the secretary is a wall, the assistant is a wall. Biden seems to be a uh, Let's skip one and go to that Washington Post article. In the midst of all this, we are in potentially one of the greatest crises that we've had in decades, which is a major, major Middle Eastern war which is brewing. And here's a fascinating piece by the Washington Post. I don't say that often. But we also, like when you read Pravda, in the old days, they had to read between the lines. And so this is the deep state trying to explain something to the rest of us. Israel's talk of expanding war to Lebanon alarms the US, a Washington Post piece. I think that came out yesterday. And uh, here's the author. Go to the next. Here's the author tweeting about it. Um, And he says, Scoop, a secret assessment from the Defense Intelligence Agency casts doubts about Israel's prospects for success if it mounts a significant escalation against Hezbollah, saying IDF forces resources will be spread too thin given the war in Gaza as per sources. The fear being that the U.S. will be drawn in. Yeah, but the other,
0: uh, the other fear they claim they have is, is that uh, Netanyahu's not doing well politically, yeah. and that this will help him politically. Isn't that tragic to think? Well, if we go over, but but our country and our presidents have done this before, and they've said, you know. You know, I think it was Bush or somebody that said, you know, the the wartime presidents are always more popular, but but he didn't prove that to be the case. Yeah, for a week or two. So this this is the whole thing that'd that, that be just so tragic that yet yeah, we're trying to stir it up. But you know, the one thing that really surprises me about this thing is that they're only now talking seriously of having Hezbollah uh, and Lebanon being involved here. I mean, it, it is a natural match and, and they're not going to see too Total annihilation of Gaza and the Palestinians. Somebody is somebody's going to come around where they'll they'll think it's in their interest to not to let every uh, every Palestinian be killed or run out because the, the history is so bad. Yeah. And uh, and of course uh, it's it's impossible to take a political position. Of course, our political proposition is a lot easier that uh, supporting both sides doesn't make any sense. It probably contributes to this kind of stuff. Uh, and we don't have to make the commitment that said, oh, oh, yeah, uh, that's genocide and we have to condemn it. Of course, we commit genocide. We commit killing. We commit yeah. to uh, reject the wars. But and, but we also reject our foreign policy, which we have more responsibility on. And say, say you yeah, you want people to stop here and he's a bad bad things happening but what are we endorsing and allowing to happen you know for the last uh, at least a hundred years now uh, since World War one in particular you know it's it's been bad on how much uh, how much killing has gone on and uh, if you start adding up civilians being killed by our bombs even when we're not involved yeah. like what's going on in, in Ukraine and all it's all our weaponry yeah. you know so and it, uh, in it, uh, in Israel too. Yeah. And Gaza. Those are American dollars being used.
1: Yeah. Yeah. That's the problem. Well, here's, let's have a couple more tidbits from the piece because it's really worth having a good look at. Um, and, and John Hudson, the journalist, he did a great job tweeting out the main points. So if we can go to the next one. Um, and this is exactly what you just said, Dr. Paul. U.S. officials remain concerned that Netanyahu may see an expanded fight in Lebanon as key to his political survival amid domestic criticism of his government's handling of Hamas's attack. Now, I'm a little bit obsessive and I, I, I watch probably too much, but I watched some major attacks, major exchanges between Israel and Hezbollah over the weekend, including an Israeli base being hit on the other side and a retaliation. It is definitely increasing. But I also saw another massive demonstration against Netanyahu in Israel. We don't see that reported in the American media. Uh, But I think a a number came out over the weekend. Only 15 percent of Israelis want him to stay in office. So deeply unpopular. If you can put that back up, actually. Um, Deeply unpopular. So he is trying to keep himself out of prison. He's got uh, corruption charges that are going to come at him. So he's got every incentive to absolutely go for broke. And he's doing it uh, with us thinking that we're at his back. And he says, when asked if political incentives are driving Netanyahu's military ambitions, a senior Israeli government official said that the prime minister will continue to take necessary steps to secure Israel. Now go to the next one if you can, uh, because I just want to get a couple of these out of the way. So since October 7th, Biden and his top aides have urged the Israelis against a major expansion of the war due to the possibility it would draw Iran and other proxy forces into the conflict, an eventuality that could also draw in the United States, U.S. officials worry that there will be more bloodshed than there was in the 2006 Israel-Lebanon war. I've seen a figure of three to five hundred thousand deaths if this goes full bore. Uh, so the U.S. is concerned about an, ex, uh, an escalation, knowing that we may get drawn in because Biden has brought us so close to Israel in this that there's no way we can. And it's this sort of sense that Israel kind of wink-wink, they knows we'll back them, they know we'll back them, and Biden is not able to extricate himself from this commitment to back them.
0: Well, I think the demonstrations in New York City uh, demonstrate how how deeply this issue is felt, because I'm, I'm really amazed at the numbers of people that were pro-Palestinians turning out uh, in, in support of, of, of Palestine yeah. and uh, palestinians and uh that is not exactly what has gone on around very often but it's a it, it is a it's a tragedy that uh this goes on and i keep uh, uh, trying to figure well when must it stop sometimes it stops when both countries just kill each other off and they get tired of the war and nobody else to kill and uh, we have uh, you know that they, they've been do, doing that and we we have uh, instigated all this this is the yeah. problem because somebody thinks there's profit but one of these days it's not going to be profitable uh, I don't know whether you'll ever see the day where there's a rebellion against the military industrial complex uh, in a serious manner. There's, there's a little bit of talk about that. And, and the old progressives used to talk used about to, it. Yeah. And uh, it didn't get Robert Kennedy anywhere talking about it. Yeah, <laughs> yeah.
1: Well, a couple of other things from the piece, and I'm, I don't want sorry to, to dwell on it too much, but if you put this next one, this is from the article. Now, this is something that you won't see reported very often in the U.S. media. And again, I think this is the deep state through the Washington Post signaling. We need to put a lid on this. A new secret assessment from the Defense Intelligence Agency found that it will be difficult for the Israeli Defense Forces to succeed in a war in Lebanon. That is something that you never thought you would see. They were supposedly invincible. The DIA thinks they'll lose. This is not a good look. So them, they must also know that, and they're counting on us. Now, this, I, I clipped this, Dr. Paul, because I knew you would appreciate it. This is one of the reasons this article, I think, is so important. If you go to the next one, here's a tweet by a, uh, I think it says a Brazilian journalist, um, and here's a quote. Um, According to U.S. intelligence reviewed by the Post, the IDF has hit the positions of U.S.-funded and trained Lebanese <laughs> armed forces more than 34 times. Uh, the comment of the person who retweeted this, a U.S.-funded and trained army is attacking another U.S.-funded and trained army. This is perfect for the military-industrial
0: complex. Well, I think complex. a little bit of that was happening up in Syria yep, on Exactly, vacation, exactly. Wasn't it? yeah. So. Yeah. They love it makes this. Makes no sense. Non-intervention is beautiful compared yeah. to the tragedy of these wars. Unless you're on. making money off of them. Huh?
1: Okay. Unless you're making money off of it. That's why <laughs> they love this stuff. Yeah. So anyway, that's the craziness of it. Well... Um, tragically yeah I'll just close out by thanking our viewers for watching this show I see a lot of live viewers and we really appreciate it if each of you just hit the like button the show would go through the roof it's easy it's free and it helps us promote the show so just hit like and if you're not subscribed hit subscribe and we appreciate it. Over to you, Dr. Paul.
0: Very good. You know, in general, no matter what issue we talk about, in my mind, I go over this issue uh, with three questions. And uh, and y- usually the uh, answers will help me decide what we should do. And one is that when people propose something, I look at it and I say, well, is this morally correct? Should we be doing this? Should we be, be bombing somebody or doing some other thing or some domestic thing that is done for humanitarian reasons, but it's actually going to make life worse? for the people who need some help and also the question is is this constitutional has the constitution authorized this this process and this decision has it authorized us to be you know the empire of, of the world and that's not too hard to figure out because it's just not there and but it's been around for a long time but then the other one i the other question i asked how practical is it, and that 's where they tend to win, especially because the military industrial complex and the special interest you know get their word out there and say, "Well, this is very practical it's good for jobs da 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 but most of the time if you look at it it's it's not uh, very very practical so i I think it's uh, v- very important to ask a few questions because when it comes down to it, if you want something that is very practical. You know, we should go with the principles of liberty, putting the responsibility on people and and what they do and how they run their own life. Merit is a better way to report people than by, uh, you know, having a for affirmative action and DEI and all this nonsense that works for and works through, through a uh, corporate fascist state. Because that goes bankrupt. We're in the middle of it. It's going to get worse. We need more people asking credit. Is what we're doing moral? Is it constitutional? Is it even practical? And I'll bet you what, we'd have a different world. I want to thank everybody for tuning in today to the Liberty Report. Please come back soon.